Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Pop Culture Podcast. Thank you for being here. You're going to know the face that joins me today. He was on here, it must have been six weeks ago or so. His name is Peter Williams and he's a health coach covering a whole range of health issues from the physical health to mental health. Really interesting guy to talk to. Last time he was on here, we had a, a really interesting conversation about you know, the umbrella of health and how to further navigate that part of your life. And I felt like I left that conversation with so many more questions and just a realization that, I mean, there's endless things to talk to about the subject of health. So based on the fact we got on so well, I thought we'd do a round two as soon as he could. So he was available just yesterday. So we sat down for a chat around a whole range of health issues once again, right on a, right on cue, which was which was really enjoyable. We covered things around ice baths. We covered things around trauma, which trauma is one of those words that you hear and it sounds a bit wanky and spiritual. But when you uh, but when you sort of break it down and understand that it doesn't have to be such an intense thing and it sort of relates to all of us in some way, in some capacity at certain times in our life becomes a really interesting subject. Beyond that, we talk about um, parenting, the role of men in society, and uh, like always, the the role of mindset in helping us navigate a healthy and happy life. So it was a really, um, I was going to say it was a really happy podcast. It was that, but it was really helpful in the sense that I, I feel like he's the kind of guy that always leaves you with a couple of practical tools just throughout the course of a conversation. So hey, if you enjoy it, make sure you shoot him a little bit of love Really great, really great conversation with a uh, with a great man. Welcome back to the show for the second time, Peter Williams. What are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual, zero, nothing. There we go, dude. We are we are on. I was just saying to you uh, when I first hit record. Now we've got some super solid Wi-Fi connection. Everyone else will get to hear it. That the last time you were here, you were telling me you're uh, you're running a Ferrari. Uh, a Ferrari, Ferrari wellness clinic, essentially for your own body, at uh, yeah. at Cade Follin's place. <laughs> I love it, Cade and I. We laugh. We call it. Well, as I mentioned, it's like the Ferrari workshop because high performance is like being in a Ferrari. It's like what tools and gadgets and stuff do we have in there um, to optimize the vehicle? And one of the best tools is a chest freezer. A chest freezer is one of the best tools for a Ferrari workshop. That's for sure. Well, bro, I've been on Marketplace the last couple of weeks trying to find one because I uh, I watched a YouTube video about a month ago and it was a bloke just going out on a big hunt for the perfect chest freezer so he could create an ice bath on his patio at home. And there were so many little things that I would never have considered when I was looking for an ice bath because my experience to date had just been go to BP, buy three bags of ice or two if I'm feeling soft still very cold, <laughs> putting them in my bathtub and filling that up. But that gets not only expensive, it's also annoying having to go to BP every time you've finished a training session or want to start your day. So how many uh, how many days in a row did you make it? So it was basically every day that I was there. So it would have been a month of just every day. But you, you, uh, you, uh, I'll, you'll laugh at this. So we did have to clean it out at one stage and – What's funny is, uh, you know, when I first did ice bars and when most people do it, it is natural for the body to go. But when I got in it after not being in for a day and a bit, I laid in and went, oh, <laughs> like jumping into a hot bath. <laughs> really? You felt like, yeah, yeah. like your body adjusts that quickly just to the, the routine of getting in the cold water. It's amazing how it happens, man. I, I don't know if I told you last time we talked that, 
we're across the road from the water and I don't go to the, I mean, I go for a little dip now and then if the weather's nice during summer. I come to life in winter when it's cold. I like getting over there when people look at me going, this guy's a nutcase. And so I totally relate. Like there's certain elements of my mind that comes alive, uh, comes to life after a couple of exposures to that cold water because I know exactly what you mean. Those first couple, when you're jumping in, your body just wants to cry, have a little panic attack. But it is amazing how much you can just find a level of comfort uh, if you can get your breathing underway. And also, I guess, if you're just uh, not feeling as though you've been thrown in the deep end of throwing your body under the bus with your first cold water exposure. So yours was, what, like literally three days after you felt pretty good. Oh, brother, it's like, um, so basically I hadn't been in for a day and a half. And and as you were saying, like I was geeking out because like we know in the brain, it's called neuroplasticity, you probably heard of, like more neural architecture is built in the brain as well as the nervous system. That's why people go, because they don't have that architecture yet. But the more you do it, the more architecture that changes inside so that that's where you will jump in and just go, and you're in and it's done because the body's adapted, the nervous system's adapted to stress. So yeah, I, I'm flying for days after it. Apparently it, it, it influences your immune system for seven days has like a positive effect. And Huberman, cool dude, I recommend checking out his stuff if you haven't. Uh, around the traps, a lot of people have been saying 11 minutes a week for cold exposure is like a recommended healthy dosage. And how cold's cold? Like what counts as cold enough? Yeah, great question. I, I, I know that I, I'm looking more at anywhere between one degree because otherwise it's frozen one to 10. Um, yeah, th that's, that's what I categorize as cold exposure for me. But in <laughs> terms of, cold. yeah, I love it there. I love it. Like, so, so one of my, um, you know, uh, dear friends in the past, we would go to the snowy mountains and like break through the ice and jump in. I remember, oh man, it was like heaven. Um, there was this lake and we literally had to break into it with axes. And then we were just there in, in the middle of winter, in the freezing cold ice, just immersed. There is just something so peaceful and satisfying about it. It's funny. People go, I hate the cold. I'm like, I love it. I love the cold. <laughs> <laughs> How does that work with a lake, man? Because like just axing through the surface of a frozen lake sounds terrifying to me because you don't know where the bottom is. So if you've got like a... Have you got a couple of handles hammered into the ice so you can pull yourself out? Because I know getting out of a cold pool is hard enough when your body starts to seize up. I used to go to a place called Hampstead Heath in London, and I think the coldest it ever got to when I was there was, I think it got to seven, might have been eight, but that felt very cold. And I remember they had ladders coming into the water, and trying to climb out of that water at that time was terrifying to me because I could just feel my body seizing up. Luckily, they had lifeguards there pretty much any time that that lake was open. So I felt as though as long as he wasn't on his phone, which he, you know, fairly regularly was, I was in pretty good company. But the, the idea of being out in the middle of the woods in a lake that you don't know the bottom of sounds too scary. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's why there's um, there's guides and facilitators around. And, and, and it's like we're, we're, we're walking in the edge of the river on like a bank. So, yeah, no, it's not like, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like you obviously see videos of Wim Hof where they're in the middle of a lake and they've, they've chopped a hole in and they're jumping in that. 
that's intense stuff. We, we were uh, doing that. It's kind of like we're at the edge of the river, just break some holes in and just kind of walk in. And the best, my favorite, whew, is when you're in a running cold river when the water's actually flowing and you're in that, that just multiplies it. Like that is, yeah, some some things are going to seize up. <laughs> yeah, so I've heard about that. So it, essentially in stagnant water, your skin, like you're developing a bit of a thermal layer around you, are you? So you're, what is it, like a tiny little warm patch, whereas in that flowing river, it just gets washed away. So it's, <laughs> it's just constantly colder and colder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, that's where that's where you'll see, brother, a lot of the um, cold plunge pools in, in integrative centers now, they've got running water. So you jump in them and it's it's actually different to a chest freezer because that's stagnant. They've got plunge pools. It's running. So it is like jumping into a freezing cold river. It's beautiful. So how often were you guys doing that? Because uh, where, where is frozen lakes near where you live now? Because you're in a... I always think of Manly as quite tropical and beautiful, and I never, I've never seen. I've heard you had trouble freezing ice in that town, let alone finding <laughs> ice lakes. So, what you're going up, you're going up to the uh, the Blue Mountains a little bit. Yeah, or Mount Kosciuszko, more down. You know, I, I don't know if geography heaps well, but down in your direction a bit. Like I know it's kind of near, more near Canberra and stuff, but yeah, Mount Kosciuszko, bro. That's where. Um, yeah, I've had a lot of cold exposure experiences in in nature and. It gets gets pretty chilly. It's beautiful. So, were, were you making that trek down just for the cold plunges, or did you have a camp or so, something going on so there? Because that's a bit was, of a hike it, from you. Yeah, it was retreat. So uh, there are a few men's retreats that I went on down there because men's work is something that, yeah, I, I find quite transformative and beautiful, and it's needed in the world. So it was a men's retreat where we'd be doing breath work because that can open up um, inhibition and open up our authentic selves. Um, and then we throw in some cold exposure because that's just, again, I, I see if there's one thing I've been passionate about lately, it's trauma. I'm not passionate about people having trauma, but I'm passionate about learning more about it and understanding and kind of destigmatizing from, you know, you're broke, you're weak and type of thing to more, oh, no, no, that's like um, energy that is stored in the body and the nervous system that hasn't been discharged. So it really was, if you zoom out, they are retreats to free the flow of the body and to open up more expression of the authentic self, to live in a world that feels safer. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. There's a, there's a bit of a trend at the moment with, uh, I don't know if it's a trend or if I've just become more aware of it because a couple of my mates have become really interested in men's work. I've got a book that I'm obsessed with at the moment, which is called The Intentional Father. So it's written by a it's written by a pastor of a church in New York, an Aussie guy, and he sort of delves into, I mean, he goes into the numbers and the stats that I can't remember off the top of my head, just about kids who grew up without dads in the house, and I mean, I was one of them, and I had an awesome childhood and got a great relationship with my dad and um, <clears throat> things like that. So he's he's not saying it's just uh, it's you know a hundred percent or nothing because I've I've had a great experience just growing up with my mum, but in terms of raising a boy of my own there's certain elements of having a man around that i reckon can be just such a, a powerful influence and just little things like even at the moment dude my boy's two years old he's obsessed with skating he's obsessed with running through bush he's obsessed with jumping off our patio and danger and as much as his mum's amazing and a legend and she's the best cook and she's so loving and she tucks him in at night dude having me around is you can just see him come to life because there's something in that 
I don't know if you call it a male energy. Maybe you can tell me about it. Um, but anyway, this bloke that I'm reading about at the moment, it's essentially a course that runs from the age of 12 to 18. And it's like an initiation process, which he believes is a massive part, which is lacking from so many Western cultures at the moment. Like we've just eliminated um, initiation processes and the exposure to pain and discomfort and fear and haven't offered any real solid foundations. And he sort of comes from the Christian worldview where, you know, God's taken out of your life and, you know, without that foundation, well, what are you standing on? And I mean, it, it, it like the way I just explained, it sounds very Christian, but I, I think you can understand that when it's explained across different cultures and um, spiritual mm -hmm. tra traditions. And um, so anyway, I'm, I'm mildly, it's a weird sentence. I was going to say I'm mildly passionate. I'm becoming more passionate about the subject myself because I think my eyes have been open to, you know, just how much of a benefit there is when, when guys have got their shit together, essentially. So what's the story with you there? Because it is a weird one, man, because I reckon what puts me off when you talk about trauma, or not you personally, but when we talk about trauma is I, I feel like people seize up when it becomes a real spiritual thing. A lot of people that I know, and you talk about trauma and people go, oh, okay, here we go. What's this guy talking about? But then mm. when you unpack it, it, it sounds really practical and helpful. Brother, totally. And I, I hear you. Like I, I think the, the spiritual we could call the formless, it, it, it's cool. However, I'm very science-based. And I was like, if it's like, like this is beautiful up here, but I, I wanted to, when I was sitting down with clients or navigating it myself, I wanted to make the intangible tangible, to make the invisible visible and to make the formless into the form. So what I like, one of my favorite studies of science that I highly recommend you checking out that I geek out on, it's called polyvagal theory. And it, it just changes the game. Like it really changes our understanding of us as animals, the adaptive behaviors that we have, and the different parts of our brain that respond to strong emotional responses. Because trauma is, as an animal, like, I love this. You may have heard of the example, like zebras. When zebras are chased by a lion, if they get away, thumbs up, great. If they get away, they're shaking themselves vigorously on the ground to mobilize that strong, uh, traumatic, emotional nervous system response in the body. We don't have that or we're not. That's no longer innate to us um, as often. So people go through a horrible time and they don't get to discharge it. Uh, but speaking into it, like there's that and also the beauty of parenting and, and looking at the changes in brain development with more involvement and time and nurturing of the child for the child to then develop a different concept of themselves and the world. So there's two things there. Trauma, the, the paradigm and the stigma around it is changing because it used to be like, Oh, you got trauma. Good luck. You got to live with it. You're broken. Like, and that, that's <laughs> where it had a bit of a stigma. It's like, yep, you're damaged. And I, bro, I've had clients come to me and they've, they've had like innocently a loving practitioner go, you've been like, you know, this is going to be with you for the rest of your life. And, and I'm, I hear it going, no, like that, that, that experience may be, but not, not the changes in the nervous system. That's up for grabs. Yeah, like we look at war. Why is it that so many people come back, many just get on with their life and they're fine, 
and others, they're, they're kind of trapped in the cycle of trauma. Well, one person, uh, you know, has a, a more of a capacity to mobilize it or they have a different concept of the world compared to these other poor people. They don't have a capacity to mobilize it. So they continue living stuck in the cycle of trauma. Mm. Yeah, I, I see this pattern in heaps of areas of, of life, just not knowing what to do with a certain energy that creeps in. And um, to, to go back to my boy again, I was saying to Jesse just this morning, he was watching some skateboarding videos on YouTube. He's two years old. And after about five minutes, he's over it. Like he wants to get down. He wants to run up the hallway. He wants to crash into a pillow. He wants to jump. And I said, but it's, it's like, and he's just a healthy two-year-old kid. Like he has a psycho energy. He's like just a little testosterone ball. And he just wants like physical action. He just wants to fight and run and jump. And it's amazing, man. And it's, it's really unfortunate because so many kids just a little bit older than him go to school with a pretty similar energy. And I said, hey, okay, now sit down and listen. And I go, mate, good luck getting this kid to go anywhere. I'm 35 years old. I sit down and listen for half an hour if I'm lucky. And that's taken a long time of training. Uh, whereas whereas <laughs> this kid, it, I, I get frustrated with this kind of stuff and our lack of understanding in so many areas. I guess trauma is going to be added to that kit now because you look at a kid like that and you go, oh, he's broken because he doesn't fit into this weird system we've created that says, hey, okay, sit down now, listen. No, no, don't run. Don't don't talk. No, I'm, you know, and uh I mean, it's it's. This is a whole another conversation we can go down, but it's part of the reason I'm not sure at the moment whether we're going to send them to school because I'm like the idea of just getting a kid to sit down for six or seven hours and learn about a heap of shit which I've been saying for years and noticed a lot of it was irrelevant to my mm. life now. Um, it just seems crazy. So so this trauma is. It, it sounds like it's cut from the same cloth as that. It's like people have this strange energy. I went to a psychiatrist, a psychologist. A couple of years ago, I might have mentioned to you last time we chatted, man. And I'd had I'd seen him a couple of times in the past, just with a few issues that had come up from time to time. And I sat down with him, and I was going through grief in hindsight. Lost a couple of close people to me. And at the end of the second meeting, he goes, "All right, yeah, we need to get you on antidepressants." And I was like, mm. and I, I I just I was like, dude, like it's so. I just said to him, I was like, it's so strange to me that that's your recommendation already. Because I, I mean, I've told you I've lost these two really close people. There's obviously going to be a weird energy. I don't have your degrees, but it just seemed crazy to me to try and null, like just to eliminate that pain with a tablet rather than sort of tap into what it is that you're speaking about now and learning how to mobilize whatever energy it is a little more effect or a lot more effectively, hopefully. T totally, brother. Like the amount of clients who have come to me over the years and it comes back to like just why why did i call my institute the new paradigm or why am i passionate a paradigm is just how we think something works like i love using funny examples right like this is this is my phone but if i genuinely thought the best way to use it would be that i have to juggle it whilst i'm trying to do fun, like that that would just i'm like oh every time i need to use it i need to do this like People would look at me and go, that's, that's mental. What are you doing? And I'd be like, well, that, that's how it works, isn't it? You just, to, to use it, if I want to answer, I need to juggle it. Is that how it <laughs> You look at me and go, dude, that's nuts. And that's kind of the innocence of some of the older paradigms. Um, it like, and, and this is one of my, my, another passion is that we live in a world of thought and it's like, well, what does that mean? Well, we're like fish in water. So however... 
um, we're creating our world with thought is it, it just looks like life and it's not questioned. And one of the tricks is that our body brings our thinking to life. And I like the metaphor. It's like a, a movie projector. And if you're in the movies and you're watching a movie, you forget you're in the movie. But if someone gets the phone, you go, bring and you're like, oh, I'm in a movie. That doesn't happen with our thinking, though. So psychologists look at you going, yeah, you need medication, which, you know, sometimes will be appropriate, but not as quick on as you've mentioned. And it's the innocence of they're stuck in that movie. And why I'm passionate about the word functional you, you may have heard of functional movement, functional nutrition, functional medicine. Functional refers to what's the latest research? How can we get even better? How can we innovate even more? What can create even more success for our people? And I see some of those older paradigms, they're not functional, they're stagnant and they're myopic. And two words I like is they can be reductionistic. So oh, that one part's broken, just put that. Whereas a functional approach is constructionistic. Oh, that part, what other parts could be impacting it? What, what else can we consider to bring the organism back into balance? Yeah. Mm. yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And it's funny as well, in like the art of hindsight or the process of just having hindsight and being able to look back with modern research at sort of older structures of, you know, trying to improve not just the body, but the mind in this case. I mean, it's easy to point the finger and laugh, but it is it is funny now with the information that we have to see how ineffective so many of us were at treating fairly basic issues. Like the example that I gave you before, um, and I should clarify as well, that I that was the last time I went and saw that particular psychologist and I'm fine. In fact, I'm, I'm better than fine. Like I'm, I'm happy, I'm healthy. Uh, my mind is is you know, as strong as ever, mostly when I'm aware of it. Um, and when it's not, I'm trying to use those moments as an opportunity for growth when, as I say, when I'm aware of it, which is, isn't, all, isn't always. But um, for me, it was just like a, a little bit of cognitive behavior therapy, just challenging a few negative thoughts, but also sitting with grief, which Cade's an awesome bloke to talk to about after what he's been through the last sort of 18 months. How, how do you navigate that? Because obviously with new research, we it's constantly unfolding and there's there's new stuff coming out so it must be something you've got to keep up to date with pretty regularly to um make sure you're bringing the best stuff to your clients and not just gradually falling into the um you know the the ancient models which it just seems to happen without realizing you, you know you know what's kind of cool as you share that that like because some people and and interesting for me to say this some people go oh trauma is bad I saw that the traumas that I experienced were my greatest training because what what they show in, in the science is develop, like perfectionism, for example, or trying to always excel. That can come from growing up in a world where that's how, like, for example, me, that's how I learned to gain love was just to be excellent, to be um, outstanding, to always push the envelope, to never settle. And that um, gap that was there in childhood, same as you are, beautiful parents, loving parents, etc. Um, but at times, obviously, if they're going into business, doing their things, as a child, there can be a side of, oh, I'm not loved or good enough, worthy, I've got to do more. Um, but it led to the training. And, and to answer your question, it's like, I've done so many trainings, and you know what would happen? Like one of them, 
So I started off as a hypnotherapist, like that was my thing and could go on a little rant about this. I think that hypnotherapy can be a lovely door where people like, like, for example, I had a client the other day, he said, so Peter, when are we going to do the hypnosis? And I said, well, are you kind of wanting hypnosis because you feel like nothing else has worked and there's something wrong with you and you need something outside of you to fix you because you're broken? He was like, yeah. I was like, don't worry. Like, that's why a lot of people can seek out that quick fix, something out of my control to, to help me. And, and no, again, let's look at the nervous system, look at the body, look at a functional approach. It's like an old paradigm. But why I share this, I was doing that with clients and they feel better for a week or two. Some would go, oh, I'm calm for a month. Then they'd be bloody anxious again or picking up smoking again. And it just frustrated me because I was like, this isn't satisfying. I don't want to take your money and me feel like I'm a crap practitioner. Them feel like they're not doing the work. And, and so talk about CBT. Then I went and I learned that. I was like, great, that's helping. I'm doing clinical hypnosis and strategic psychotherapy. Let's get strategic with your thinking. But many would still come back a month later and go, I'm anxious again. Or, you know, Peter, it's there again. And I was just like, the hell is the answer to this? This is frustrating. And then I was blessed that um, dear friends of mine, they started talking about the nervous system and breath work and polyvagal theory. And my own journey, bro, I had like autoimmune disease stuff where I couldn't lift my arm overhead. I couldn't walk sometimes because I was so inflamed and sick. So I was focusing on healing that, but I saw that in healing that my brain would get better. And I started looking at nervous system, body, and clients would go, Peter, I'm great. And six months later, they'd just be like, I'm really good. A year later, they're like, I'm really good. And I was like, I'm, I'm running in this direction as fast as I can because when I hear that, I want that to be the standard of healthcare, that somebody is transformed permanently, that we're not like band-aid short-term solutioning it. That's what fires me up. Yeah. So what your own experience with the autoimmune disease, what was triggering that? Great question. So it was an inflammatory arthritis. Um, I was doing a bit of a partying decade. So a lot of alcohol, a lot of drugs, um, a lot of overtraining. So I, I was doing martial arts, gym. But, you know, this is interesting when you look at a functional perspective. Went to Bali, had barley belly, came back whole immune system was flared up. So what I love about a functional approach is it's not one thing. It's all the things. It's several things. Like I was working and living in a world where I was actually on antidepressants back then. So I was on antidepressants for like several years because I was told I had a chemical imbalance. So there was just a cocktail of stress and not stress as in like, Oh, I'm, I'm scared of the future. No, just stress on the body. There's positive stress and there's distress. So I find that autoimmune is the body trying to wake us up when there's too much distress from a number of mm. sources. My gut had problems for like a decade. Just go, oh, that's Pete. His stomach's always playing up or he has to eat very particularly and yeah, a lot of autoimmune starts in the gut as well. They say like 99% of it starts in the gut. 
Yeah, it's so interesting. I'm trying to think of his... Oh, Zach Bush. Zach Bush is a guy that I'm a big fan of. Um, I've been getting right into his stuff lately. And it's amazing how broad and how deep the subject of health and well-being is because as we've sort of spoken about, I'm sure we'll go deeper into it, my exposure to the world of health, I was a runner growing up. I, I was sort of the opposite side of the fence to you, but we probably met in the middle with, um, you know, with, with some of the psychological stuff. Like I, there was a period there where I was younger, I was on antidepressants too. Um, I think mine, a lot of mine was, I had essentially like a faulty training program going on in my mind. And when I got a better one, that fixed that. And it was, again, like you said, maybe a trauma or definitely a trauma that I look back on now. I'm like, if, if it wasn't for that, as annoying as it was and as frustrating and as silly as you looked at times, um, you know, I wouldn't be 35 and, and feeling pretty confident. I say this with caution uh, to, to face, you know, whatever challenges come up. And that's another thing. Like once you've faced a couple of them, you start to get like a little bit of momentum. You're like, okay, look, been here before. I thought this was the end of my life. I got through it. The next one, it might be harder, it might be easier, whatever, but I'm more equipped to navigate it. Um, but the Zach Bush thing was like my health routine was it was running, do some stretching. Okay, eventually I learned get on top of your mindset. And I was like, hey, perfect. And still wasn't looking at things like nutrition and hydration and sleep. And then Zach Bush has just sort of unearthed this whole world of um, just regenerating your garden, essentially, like getting back into a sustainable form of living. Um, you know, if you want chickens, grow them, feed them good organic food. They help the soil. Um, anyway, so it's essentially like this big circle of just, I don't know. I don't know exactly how to explain it, but it's like as deep as you want to dig in the world of health, you'll, you'll continually find more stuff. And it sounds like that, that's what I'm really attracted to with, with your approach is it just makes more sense. Like our body is not just one thing. It's millions of little things trying to work together. So as if just one tablet is the complete answer to all of those problems. Mm, yeah, bro. Yeah, totally, bro. And, and it's like, um, again, that's the innocence of older paradigms. Like uh, I love an example I was listening to on the weekend that you see a traditional doctor and you know, the, it, it, symptoms of low thyroid function can be like I had low thyroid function myself from just chronic stress, gut stuff. But but how a, a natural, a, a traditional doctor may see it is, OK, so your hair's thinning, thinning you've got dry skin, you've got cold hands, uh, you know, you've got brittle nails, um, you've got lowered adrenal function, testosterone. OK, and they test you. So they do a test, a standard doctor, and they go, Oh, okay. You got low thyroid function. Okay. We're going to give you synthetic thyroid hormone. There we go. But, and, and I'll go, okay, you're on that forever, but it doesn't get to the root cause. So that happens, but the multitude of drivers that are driving it continue on. So then another symptom will pop up elsewhere. And then they go to the doctor again and go, oh, now I've got like chronic pain in my shoulder. And then the doctor tests them and they go, Oh, you've got high C-reactive protein and sed rate. You've got oh inflammation. Okay, um, let's send you to a rheumatologist. Rheumatologist goes, oh okay, yep, we're, we're going to need some immunosuppressant drugs. Take that forever. And it's the I call it the medical merry-go-round. And what what I stand against is people going through the cycle of trial and error on the medical merry-go-round because I did it for yeah. years. And I've had clients, you probably get it, you've seen it. We, when people hear it, they go, 
Yeah, and it's not to blame the beautiful, loving people that are sitting there going, I want to help this person. But in their training, it's disease care, not like healing care. It's how do we prevent death versus how do we support people to thrive? Because I feel like with a doctor lovingly, and I'm not saying it's for all doctors, but they're sitting there kind of going, let's make sure you're not dead. Cool, you're not dead, awesome. I'll see you next time. They're not saying that, but that's the approach, right? Rather than how can we help you to thrive? Like, how can we help you to thrive? That's not the standard question. There's these structures in place as well that have been there since before you and I were born. Like you look at a GP and as you say, I like your approach and giving, cutting them some slack because I often just get frustrated at the fact that there's just such rubbish knowledge because uh, I'll, I'll go into this story in a minute. But for now, mm. I wanted to say it's interesting. Like you grow up in a society and we have doctors and we have dentists and we have, um, you know, like insert so many other forms of health and wellness practitioners. But the dentist one's a really interesting example. I was having a chat with my mum who came to stay with us on the weekend and I can't remember the guy's name, but essentially there was a, doc, a dentist from the 30s and 40s who wanted to travel around to ancient tribes or indigenous tribes around the world and just have a look at how their teeth fed. You might know who I'm talking about. Western how their A. Teeth Price, fed in- yes. Yeah, yeah, Western A. Price, was it? I believe so. Yeah, I may be getting it wrong, but that name comes to mind. But I know the one you're talking about. It it rings a bell. So you're going to know what I'm saying, but for everyone listening, essentially this guy travelled around to indigenous tribes who hadn't been exposed to the Western diet, white flour, white sugar, everything else that goes along with it, and had a look at tooth health or mouth health or gum disease. And it was essentially non-existent in, you know, uh, American Indians, Australian Aboriginals. And he went, you know, to five or six different continents and experienced whatever indigenous people group was there. And it was the same story all around, but it wasn't the end of the study from there. He went on to go, okay, well, how did these same people fare when they moved out of that tribe into a city or village with a Western diet? And all of a sudden, all the gum disease, the teeth problems that you and I are exposed to over here started to become a part of their life. But then even beyond that, he followed up on the children of the people who had moved from these tribes to a Western city or village and had a look at their general overall health from a young age. And you could see like a a really rapid decline in the oral health of even the children. And for me, that's like a massive big stop sign that says, hey, okay, have a look here. Like, okay, obviously dentistry in your mind and my mind, well, the average Australian Westerner's mind is it's just an essential part of our life. But if, for example, you went back to a diet which didn't cause these diseases and problems, all of a sudden it becomes a less relevant um, form of health because like we're just not exposed to the diseases. So what I like about that example is I feel like it really magnifies the idea that if you can get in line with what is a natural style of life, you know, under the umbrella of everything that that is, it's not only your oral health, which is going to flourish, but like you were saying, when you got on top of your autoimmune health, everything started to really improve. It's just exciting to know that that's an option for us. And it's not the like the one way to health isn't, oh, the doctor said, take the tablet. The dentist said, get a filling. <laughs> it's a far broader, more hopeful conversation to be had. To- totally, brother. Like I-, I love there's something that uh, I 
I haven't really heard of many people saying it, and it's what I've kind of seen in in in, in my business with clients. Uh, what I'd love to speak to on that is there was a similar um, type of exploration with a man named Pottinger. And you may have heard of Pottinger's cats where they did the same thing. So essentially they fed cats, like they had a generation of cats. They fed them, I believe it was um, like artificial or processed dairy and processed foods. And that over that generation, the next generation came out with different facial structure, they were weaker, they were less healthy. Um, I believe even their bone structure or their, their body structure started to change, kept feeding them the crap diet. Um, the next generation, many of them were infertile, um, like even more deformed, weaker, less virility. And then the next generation was stillborn. So they literally died off in four generations. But the, And this is known as epigenetics. This is a big passion of mine because any dis-ease in the world, 95% of dis-ease is epigenetic. It means it's coming from the environment. Only 5% of dis-ease is actually coming from our genes as an inherent innate thing. But this is the good part of the story. When he reversed the diet, within four generations, they were healthy again. So we're at the pivot point of the fourth generation for us to educate and understand like you're doing with your beautiful, um, your boys to shift our direction, to bring ourselves back to the state of well-being that's innate, you know? So that, that was another study offshoot. And what they also found, you know, with the indigenous tribes, um, there was another man, it wasn't um, Weston A. Price, but another guy investigating. He, and they were beautiful jaw structures. They were healthy. They didn't have disease. Um, and he, he was like, what's your secret? And I go, we only breathe through this. And and seeing the impact of nasal breathing in those tribes, bro, like when they were nursing babies, if a baby's mouth would open, mm -hmm. the mothers in the village would close it up. So this is all epigenetics, breathing, mobilizing trauma, um, nutrition, like you said, white flour and sugar, it is killing people. And you want to know what obesity largely is? Metabolic chaos. Why people overweight? The body is trying to deal with the constant onslaught. And a lot of the time, weight is just the body trying to store inflammation or deal with the burden and toxicity so yeah it's it, it's fascinating to consider the the multitude of elements that we can change yeah i'm listening it's interesting you said the four generation example with the cats or was that with the cats that you were talking about the yeah, fourth generation? The cats. yeah yeah so i'm actually listening to a book at the moment called the fourth turning by a guy called <laughs> uh william strauss have you heard of it no no. So the fourth turning is, uh, so it was written in 1997 and it's written as a prophecy and sort of a historical recollection of just humanity, essentially looking at the patterns that humans go through over the course of, you know, their day-to-day -day lives. And essentially in this book, he paints and it's impossible to do because I haven't, I can't remember all the information and all the examples, but essentially he looks back over 80 year periods throughout history, back to about the sort of 1600s. And within those 
80-year histories, he breaks them down into 20-year blocks. So within those 20-year blocks, the first 20 years is a time of great hope and anticipation, expectation, and just passion for the future. Mm. The second 20 years and the third and fourth, it's just a gradual progression into chaos, confusion, um, disease, uh, uh, banking collapse, war, blah, blah, blah. So it was written in 1997. He said in 1997 they were in the third turning. So it was the, the third of the fourth period. He said he expected the fourth turning to begin in around 2005 or 2006 and to end in around 2027. And the awesome thing with this, and when you read the book, you get more hope because he gives you examples of how we've gone into certain periods and how we've come out of certain periods. The awesome thing is at the moment, obviously you don't need to talk or look too far to have a chat to someone and go, hey, how do you feel about the way culture is at the moment? They're like, it is, it's fairly mental. You know, there's boys becoming girls, girls becoming boys, even uh, without the conversation. It's just like, no, oh, you feel that way, go and do it. It's, um, you know, you look at the world of politics, you look, you, you know, like there's endless examples. And for mm. me, I keep getting, I kept getting a little fearful, not to a big degree, but I'm like, crap, what, what are things going to look like when my kid's 30 or when my kid's 40? And it was kind of a scary thought because you just, in my mind, I gradually, I think that just this process of just worsening is just going to keep taking place. And by the time Charlie Boy's 40, things just going to be an absolute shit show. <laughs> but what he explains is that, um, he reckons that by 2027, we'll go into the first turning again. So the last fourth turning was the end of World War II, like 1945. Um, and I love that because, uh, I mean, first of all, it's filled with hope. But second of all, why wouldn't it be mm -hmm. that? Because, like, we are seasonal creatures. Like, there's summer, autumn, winter, spring. The ocean ebbs, it flows. Like, the moon, you know, the sun rises, it sets. It's just there's patterns everywhere. So why... Why wouldn't that be the, the pattern with the way that humans evolve? And that fourth generation thing just stood out to me because the fourth turning essentially, uh, each turning is in a way a, a generation. So it's just interesting to see that pattern again. I don't know if you've heard much about that, but it was a, you know, a, a source of a whole heap of hope for me over the last few weeks. It's, it's just be it's beautiful. Like, you know, at times we, we can look at what's going wrong in the world and obviously we could feel sad and, and look at it. And then we can start to look at, well, what's constant and where is the hope and what can we do about it? So, yes, it doesn't make any of the crap that's happening right. However, we can look at the focus of what can we do about it and what's true about humans that really changed how I saw people was that we all are well. Like, it changed my career. I used to look at people for like illness. Where are they wrong? Like where, where's the gap in their brain that I've got to fix? Like where, where are they broken? Because that was kind of the philosophy. Where do I need a technique to change them? Because there's, and, and then I learned, it's like, no, no, no. At the essence of us all, there is something that is beating our heart and breathing our lungs that is guiding us through life from moment to moment. Something that rises the sun in the sky, something that, allows humpback whales to learn a new song each season that guy and i guess i've just once i have i've had eyes for it i've seen it in clients thousands of times where you just they, they'll come to me going this is happening and i'm challenged with this da, 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 and then i just watch them just innately figure it out and mm. what i say every time pretty much 
like, and lots of the time I'm just pointing to go, Hey, see your inner GPS. Cause it's like, I love this metaphor, bro. It's like, um, we learn to drive with the radio on full blast and to navigate our life with the ads going 20% off, go here, go here. And it's like drive like, ah, so intense. But the GPS is always quietly guiding, but it's a quieter volume. And the other trick about GPS is it only gives instructions when you're near the turnoff. So that's where people feel like, oh, I'm all alone, life's not working. And then once you're near the turnoff, 300 meters turn left. And that could be in 300 meters, decide to do this. So we've got that going for us. And I love this, the, the turning of um, cycles, generations, uh, rebirth. Uh, the hero's journey is another example. This is, this is what I love. Um, it's a terminology that, that I've seen in, in business that I believe is why as humans, we're kind of doing a lot of silly shit at times, me included, like I'm not above it. Um, it's the term called zoocosis. So when animals are put in the zoo, they become very neurotic, they can become depressed, they can become erratic. And we've lost sight that we're like animals living in our own self-created zoos of technology consumption of inflammatory foods of a way of life that is very different to our ancestral blueprint and you go oh mental illness is on the rise yes because we've got more zoo cages that we're creating for ourselves to live in mm. yeah it's such a good point it's such a, and it's so obvious to look at when you've seen it you can't not see it but even when you've seen it i still find it's difficult sometimes to break those walls down. Like I'm the number one culprit for going down a YouTube rabbit hole and being like, oh my gosh, that was two hours. Like, what am I doing with my time? And I preach this stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like, I love this stuff. I love the world of health. Um, I read Cal Newport's book, Digital Minimalism, a couple of years ago. And still, uh, something I've got to come back to on a regular basis and go, Tice, like you've looked at Instagram 23 times today, mate. Like put your phone away or delete the app. And then I go, yeah, but I deleted it and I know my password. So it's real easy to reinstall. <laughs> I'm just like a, yeah. an addict. So yeah. it's interesting trying to, it's interesting trying to navigate your way through the noise, because despite the fact that you know, for a fact, there's walls around us to use your analogy or your metaphor, there's walls mm. around us that we've put up and uh, like they're, they're to a degree, we put them up ourselves or we hold them up ourselves, but there's something that, I don't know what it is that we're so scared about, you know, smashing down those walls and getting outside to see. But though we know it's not good for us, we hold ourselves in there. Like, do you have any thoughts about what that might be? Beautiful question, brother. And it's fascinating because, like, you know, when, when I was teaching my, my, my practitioners last year in the Institute, something that I, I was very passionate about was that like what one of the people in it was like, oh, some clients just don't want it enough or, you know, some clients just don't want to take responsibility. They're choosing. And I was like, I disagree that any of us are choosing to do this. And it would be like, what? So it's not our responsibility. No, it is our responsibility, but it's not our fault because this ties into polyvagal theory and the fact that we're animals, you know, picking up the phone, like that's, I've, it's a human thing. It's an attempt at regulation. Like I remember a, a, a lovely client. It was like, I use it to distract myself. And I said, well, what I've seen, it's an attempt to regulate yourself. And, and we'd go, well, why do we need to try and regulate ourselves with 
beer or cigarettes or the phone or um, Netflix or porn or gambling or whatever it is because we're overstimulated. And why are we overstimulated? Because over time we're living in a, in a, in a zoo and, and it's, mm. it's a cultural zoo. It's a societal zoo. I don't believe that each individual is going, oh, yeah, I want to, I'm choosing to live with overstimulation to dysregulate myself. But they look at um, Jane and Bob next door. They look at their uncles and it's the culture. It's the societal norm of just continual overstimulation and deprivation, deprivation of our biological needs. So we've got a double whammy. It's like you're in the ring with Mike Tyson. There's an uppercut of overstimulation of the zoo and then there's a hawk of deprivation of our our body's needs like we need sun and like i, I believe it's in um america or it, it, i think it was omega-3s which is basically for the brain it's like 90 percent of their population is deficient in omega-3 like and and people go oh yeah that's what i put that's what makes your brain work period so mm-hmm. i see the two big arms are overstimulation and deprivation and that it it just the agricultural boom and the chasing of money and status and and you know these things the the end of the rabbit hole to be happy or good enough they've created a society that is like a zoo and lots of the time what we're doing and what i love that we have going for us that i've seen bro when people understand and they have insight all of a sudden their GPS has a new coordinate and you watch them navigate it. So they'll they'll get flat tires. They'll get into potholes and shit. That's human, but they'll still just keep finding their way. So I see it's, it's supporting as many people to turn down the radio, to hear the GPS and to have understanding so they can plot new coordinates. Mm. That that's what will really shift the game for humanity. Because again, I don't believe we're choosing to do it. Like, and I know personal development, like that, you know, you're choosing everything in your life. You are. And I'm like, yes, to the level of understanding that you have. Again, if I think the only way to use my phone is to juggle it, I'm choosing to do this, but I'm lacking understanding that I don't need to juggle it. I can just hold it. Guys, thanks for stopping by. I'm not 100% sure what happened here. The conversation had about another 20 minutes left in it, but for some reason, the camera on the other side of the conversation switched off and it stopped recording. I've done everything. I've tried to delve through my own recordings and see if I could pick up a a bit of a foundation or backup audio recording, but unfortunately, the last 20 minutes of the chat was cut out. So um, looking forward to having Pete on in another couple of months. I'll try and figure out how to navigate these little technical issues as they come up. Bear with me as I do that. I hope you enjoyed what it was that you heard and uh, and we'll see you all again next week.